Whenever he was on the ice, everyone was looking over their shoulder. Guess who? Cassian and Kachuk chat again. They're going to drop. Here we go. Kachuk, Cassian. Big hit as he destroys Logan Kachuk. And Branson and Cassian can really chuck it. I don't know what Cassian had for lunch, but it's going to be his official pregame meal from now on. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking, presented by Betway. If you're going to place a bet, bet on Betway. 19 plus, Ontario only. Please play responsibly. My guest this week is newly retired NHLer Zach Cassian, who, for my money, is one of the most interesting men in hockey over the last decade. I, well, I'm just defending myself, right? If, you, if you're going to hit like that, I have to protect myself, and I, I protect my teammates. It's not my fault. A lot of the league doesn't have, have guys like me anymore, but if you're going to run around like that when I'm on a team, it's not going to happen. And uh, I'll take my two games, I'll get well-rested, recharged, have some good workouts, and I'll be ready to go when I come back. Cassian was picked 13th overall by the Buffalo Sabres in 2009. Zach Cassian rips it home in off of Dune, and just like that, Buffalo has its two-goal lead back again. And the six-foot-three, 220-pound bruiser burst onto the scene in Buffalo, but made headlines in his first few years for all the wrong reasons. Rock bottom came for Cassian in 2015. After already being traded by Buffalo and Vancouver and developing a reputation as a partier, Montreal Canadiens GM Mark Bergevin sat him down before training camp and told him there would be a zero tolerance policy in Montreal. When a GM sits you down and says you're going to get one chance with me, and, uh, he's going to stick to his word. He's a man of his word. Um, I respect Mark. He wasn't kidding. Three days before making his debut in the Canadiens' season opener, Cassian broke his nose and fractured his foot in an early morning accident in Montreal. Put it this way, uh, it happened early in the morning. I don't know all the details. As we speak, they're still coming in, so that's why, you know, before you start putting things up front, you have to have, make sure you have all the information. I do not have all the information, but it's disappointing to say the least. He wasn't driving, but he was under the influence, and his career as a Canadian was over before it could even begin. Cassian entered the NHL's substance abuse program, went to rehab, and three months later emerged a new man. It hadn't always been an easy road, and to understand Cassian, you need to understand his roots. Growing up in Windsor, Ontario, Cassian's dad died of a heart attack when he was eight. He started playing hockey that year, and by 16, he was manhandling opponents and scoring head-turning goals in the OHL. Cassian's older brother, Mike, 10 years his senior, was his mentor and father figure, and he told Cassian then that hockey was the easy part. He needed to get his head on straight to make the most of his opportunities. And down to perhaps his last strike, Cassian latched on with the Edmonton Oilers and never looked back. He netted 15 goals in back-to-back seasons, played on the line with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and even scored two electric game winners in back-to-back games against the San Jose Sharks in 2017 in the Stanley Cup playoffs. To Joe Pavelski, who turned it over, and this will be a breakaway shorthanded Cassian to give Edmonton the lead. He does! Rishot scores! Zach Cassian has made it 1-0 Edmonton! 42 seconds in, a shorthanded goal. With the Oilers, Cassian signed a life-changing four-year $12.8 million deal that also, as he acknowledged, became hard to live up to at the end. At age 32, after 661 NHL games, 51 fights, 
and some incredible highs and lows, Zach hung up his skates last week and is turning his sights to the next chapter of his life. Here's my conversation with Zach Cassian. Zach Cassian, big moment for you last Thursday announcing your retirement. I was curious what your emotions were like. Maybe you knew this day was coming for a couple weeks, but to get a bunch of messages, what was your phone like in the aftermath? Yeah, it was uh, it was overwhelming for sure. Obviously, you know, you meet a lot of players, a lot of people uh, along the way, but for over 100 people to, to reach out uh, through text message or email or, or social media or whatnot was pretty cool. It kind of it made it real. It was kind of surreal to begin with. Uh, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. It didn't really hit home until uh, I started to get the, the congratulations uh, text from players backed all the way from junior hockey with the Windsor Spitfires. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see. Uh, very grateful, very honored to have that many people in my corner. Yeah, congratulations on an excellent career. I mean, any messages for you stand out? Like any of them particularly meaningful? Well, I think you can't play in the league unless you're drafted pretty much, right? Or you're a walk-on or there has to be a a moment where you truly start to believe you can play in the NHL. And I think for me, that was getting drafted by Buffalo uh, in the first round. That's uh, even going to the draft. I wasn't sure uh, how it all was going to pan out if I was going to get picked in the first round. Um, but then to finally hear your name called in the first round, that's when it really sunk in that, hey, uh, there's a chance here where I can make a career out of this. And that's when you started taking it pretty seriously. 13th overall, as you mentioned, uh, but I want to take you back to the end, though. Uh, you spent training camp with the Anaheim Ducks on a PTO. Did you kind of know it was time, and were you considering other options to keep playing? Were you thinking about going to Europe or or maybe do something a little different? Honestly, I, I wasn't sure. Obviously, it was a rough – the last couple of years playing in the NHL where they weren't Zach Cassian caliber hockey. What I'm used to seeing, what people are used to seeing – and trust me, a, a player knows that just as much, if not more, than the people uh, that have eyes on them. And Arizona was a tough spot for me last year, obviously, uh, with the way things went with the team and whatnot and the way the season ended. Uh, I really wasn't sure what was going to happen, what was going to pan out. And then as the summer progressed, obviously, if you get a PTO, if you just look at the numbers, the likelihood of of cracking an HR roster from a PTO is very slim. And I've always wanted to be a realist. I'm a, I'm a realist guy. I don't just blow smoke. So I knew going in, I had to, I had to have a hell of a camp to, to make the squad. So I, I, I knew there was a possibility we'd be at this crossroads right now. Um, you never want to believe it, obviously, but I knew it was a, a strong possibility. You mentioned last year was was rough in Arizona, and I'm sure just processing the trade was probably pretty difficult for you. You go from a a cup contending team in Edmonton where you'd had so much success and build a lot with those guys, but you're probably looking at the cap sheet like everyone else is saying, hey, if they're going to try and sign some guys here or even keep some of the guys they need, I might be the odd man out. What's that feeling like? Uh, it's the business side. I, I don't think you can you can take it personally or else uh, your feelings will get hurt a lot in the NHL. Uh, Ken Holland was uh, always great to me. Ken Holland uh, gave me uh, uh, the contract that made my uh, – that made my life uh, after hockey that much better. So I have nothing but respect for him. Kenny's uh, a great human being, but a great general manager. And he's uh, he had great dialogue. And then, like you said, with the cap situation, the cap struggles that uh, Edmonton has, uh, you had to think uh, the way I played, uh, especially my last year at Edmonton, that I was going to be the odd man out. And uh, it was tough. Obviously, uh, a lot of friends still there that I talked to weekly. Two of my kids were born there. So 
Um, you're there for eight years and it, it definitely hits home. It definitely hits home once you're gone. You kind of realize how good you have it once you're gone, sadly enough. And uh, it's something that uh, I'll always cherish my time in Edmonton and uh, the fans from the players, coaches. Uh, it, is, it, was, uh, it was truly uh, my best time in the NHL. Yeah, you mentioned a, a, a partially life-changing contract, four years, $12.8 bucks, And I think just from watching how hockey has changed so much in the last 20 years, Zach, it's fascinating to me how everyone really, as a fan, now views players specifically through the lens of what their cap hit is. It's like, hey, this guy's either bringing a lot of value or this guy is overpaid. How tough is that to wear sometimes when you're you're that guy that, hey, no one's going to begrudge you for getting the payday. You earned it. You had some really impressive seasons to start with the Oilers, and you get that deal. But then to kind of live up to that, there's a lot of pressure that comes with it too. Definitely, and I think that's one thing a lot of fans don't realize, but uh, they have full-on right, the ability to think what they want. They pay the tickets. They, they go to the games. They make this game possible, but Players take that very personally as well. Uh, obviously, players want to play good. Players want to do what they can to help the team win. And I think fans don't realize how much the players actually truly care. It's just not, we're not just kicking our feet up and sailing off into the sunset. Obviously, there's injuries that happen, things that happen throughout the year that put players back. And I think that was uh, kind of what happened with me and Edmonton, a couple serious injuries back to back. And uh, I just couldn't get my ground. And it was always tough, always tough, especially, like I said, I love playing at Edmonton. I love the guys there. But uh, like a good friend once told me, it's better to be overpaid than underpaid. So <laughs> that that gets you sleeping at night at least. But uh, ultimately, I would have liked to live up to the contract a little more than, than I did for sure. So take us back through just like what were you dealing with? Like what were some of the injuries that had piled up for you? Well, we had the one in preseason where I hit my head off the ice and I was out cold and I was dealing with stuff like that. And then uh, – same head injury again, not too far down the road. Uh, and then uh, my hip was was all in the same year within the span of five months. And you're not making excuses. Injuries are part of the game. Things happen. But to be the player I have to be on a night-to-night basis, you can't be dealing with the things I was dealing with. And uh, that's when you just kind of look in the mirror and uh, you're just honest with yourself. And uh, you try to move, take that next step forward best you possibly can. Zach, you've never been nothing but honest, at least in the conversations that I've had with you. And we've had some good ones uh, going back to when you opened up about your sobriety and, and different things that you've gone through in your career. But you mentioned the head injuries. And I'm curious, you know, dealing with some of that stuff, everyone knows you were right in the thick of all the action. Do you, you ever think about that stuff and, and whatever might come down the line? How much was that a factor in your, um, in your decision to step away, if any? To be honest, it wasn't since I was I was scared of potentially what life would bring after hockey. That wasn't an issue at all for me. It was more so just not being able to be the player that I'm normally enjoy being. I think uh, it's just the human brain. Something happens like that, a concussion, knocked out cold. It's very tough to go back and be the same player. It's uh, the mind's wired a pretty special way where – you, you just don't forget about what happened. And I think that was kind of the case with me. There was a couple of those. And uh, it's always in the back of your head, well, can it happen again? Can this happen? What if I do this? You just start thinking a little bit more. And the way I played and the way uh, I was uh, at my full potential is uh, I was uh, borderline <laughs> reckless out there. So 
uh, you have a few injuries like that and uh, they just change the, the perspective changes a little bit and then you have kids and uh, obviously that's a whole nother uh, element to what life brings after hockey so with that and uh, the head injuries I think it was time to move on and and uh, see what the next chapter brings here. So let's take a step back and, and talk about, you mentioned Edmonton, some of the best years of your career. And, you know, I just think about the trade that ended up bringing you to Edmonton and kind of the tough spot that you were in and all the different support and, and sort of counseling that you had received. You, you took some time to, to go to rehab, to attain your sobriety. And I'll never forget, Zach, um, when I had a chance to talk to you and, and you shared your story, New Jersey. I remember that. I yeah, remember that. We were standing yeah, yeah, in New yeah. Jersey. Yep. In the yeah. locker room. And I, and so I, I'd gone to, um, what stands out for me is I had gone to Connor McDavid after the fact. And it was one of those, like, you know, it was a practice day. You guys are trying to get back to the city. And it was like, it was kind of those like, Hey, what do you want? Kind of thing. When I went up to Connor and yeah. I said, Hey, I want to talk about Zach and his eyes just lit up. And he was so excited to talk about how much you meant to the team you know, when you hear something like that and the impact that you were able to have on those guys, not just, you know, um, as a line mate, but also as a teammate, you know, Dave Tippett said that day, I went back and looked in my notes. He said, you kept the flies off of 97 and 29. What does that mean to hear? Well, it's pretty special. I think now when you're in it, you're in it. You, You can't really, you don't have time to relax and reflect. And I think even being home for the last, uh, month or so, if the Oilers are playing, I'm I'm tuning the game on and I'm I'm watching those guys play and what they do on a night to night basis is pretty special. Obviously, last year when I was in Arizona, you just gravitate to those games because those players are so special. They're that good, and to be able to one thing is playing next to those guys. That's pretty special. Obviously, they they inflated my numbers a little bit, but uh, <laughs> don't tell them that. And uh, it was just kind of cool to see throughout the years us grow together as as a team especially us I think me Dreisaitl like David Nursey a couple other guys we essentially got in Edmonton at the same time so uh we all became really really close and obviously if you can have an impact on the ice where guys like that are saying good things about you definitely makes you feel good As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Your brother, Mike, has been a hugely influential person in your life. And he had said at the time that, you know, the hockey part for you was never the most difficult part. You, you could always play. It was kind of overcoming the other stuff in your life to get to that point. When you take a step back and you think about, you know, where you've been and where you've gotten to now, 
Uh, what stands out for you? Ooh, uh, what stands out is uh, I'm happy I finally figured it out to be able to get back to the NHL and have a long career. I think when you're 20, I think it was 22, 23, when all the, the things happened with Montreal where you're almost so young, you just think you're going to play in the NHL for 20 years and you're kind of oblivious to really how life works. And I'm happy I had the support system like my brother, like my family around, like guys from the league, teammates, et cetera, around me to really make me just step back and really think what, what I put, was putting at, at jeopardy. And I think if I can reflect on one thing, I'm happy I did that. And really the rest is history. I ended up making it back to a great organization like Edmonton and ended up playing another 10 years or so. So it was, it was pretty special. Um, and that's one thing that when I reflect on if there was any major turning points, it would have to be that. When did you connect the dot that everything was kind of in peril, like that you might not have a chance to make it back? Well, when I talked to Mark Bergeron, he was, he's a very honest guy too. He'll tell you you're sitting in his office. I got traded out of Vancouver to Montreal. And that was basically because of the off ice stuff in Vancouver. And Bergie sat me down and said, Hey, listen, we'll essentially roll out the red carpet for you. We just can't have any of the, the off ice issues. And, you do that, they're going to love you in this city. And uh, two weeks later, I was sitting there and um, obviously after the accident and uh, I was getting released from uh, from the team. So that was really the eye-opener for me. Mark, I didn't really get to know him that well, but everything I heard and people have said about him, he's a pretty honest guy. And for him to, to once sit down with me before all the incident happened, that meant something. And then obviously once the, the things happened that happened, it was an eye opener saying, Hey, maybe we gotta we gotta figure this out here. So you had burned through a couple strikes, you go to rehab and you get to Edmonton. Were you walking on eggshells at that point? What's your attitude as you enter? Because you're a guy that plays with a ton of confidence, bravado, maybe even a little swagger. What were you dealing with at the time? No, I was just happy to be back. I truly, Frank, I wasn't even sure if I was going to ever play in the league again. I was I was uh, that confident where I wasn't sure if another team was going to give me a chance. And obviously, just to be given an opportunity to play in the National Hockey League, that's anything any kid would ever dream about doing, correct? And so when I got that chance, third strike, I was pretty excited. And I knew deep down within and speaking to the my brother and uh, my mom and, and whatnot that I wasn't going to screw up this opportunity and now we're sitting here. So, And so you get an opportunity with an Edmonton team that's kind of up and coming. McDavid's still kind of, you know, just breaking into the league and you guys all kind of grow together. What clicked and why do you think you fit so well on the ice with those guys? Like you mentioned earlier, I think there was so much skill on the team. It was always, Edmonton was never, you're never worried about going in there and getting roughed up by Edmonton. You're worried about if you're falling asleep, they could score 10 on you. From uh, the Gagne days to uh, there were so many high, high-end skilled players that played there, obviously. Then you get Connor and Leon, and they were always had the offensive power but never really had guys that could play and, and protect those players. And uh, I was kind of one of those players that they gave me a chance, and I realized, hey, I got a niche here that if I do this on a night-to-night basis, I can make this home for a while. And um, dating back to those Samanko years and whatnot with Gretz, 
that's kind of what the city has always seen when the Edmonton Oilers were being successful and and doing those really good things in those 80s, late 80s. So it kind of just fell in my lap. And like I said before, I was at the point in my life where I I knew deep down that I wasn't going to screw this up. And it was kind of the perfect storm, really. I was curious as you as you line up with some expectations there to be that guy that fends off of some of that for the high skill guys. Yeah, I know you're a big guy. I know you've always right, right been in the mix of it. But was there ever any anxiety for you in terms of, you know, going up against some of the bigger guys in the league? Like I, I just even dealing with some of the the heavyweight guys that have been through Philly where I live, it was always fascinating to me, Zach, to hear them. Hey, who's in the lineup tonight? Is this guy playing? Like they'd always kind of be checking the lineup card to to get a sense of <laughs> yeah. what what the fight card might look like that night. Was that any part of your repertoire? Uh, no, honestly, not really. I, I always felt pretty lucky where I was when I was lacing them up. I never was. I have to fight tonight. I never. I never thought about that. I I thought about playing, playing the game hard, and obviously, if someone takes liberties with one of our high end players, then it's not even a thinking moment. It's more of a reactive moment. So I felt like I was one of those players that was lucky enough to be able to maybe just go out and play. And if it happened organically, it happened organically. Obviously, in the eighties and and those days, they would probably call us soft. So <laughs> I was lucky. The NHL started to really change. Uh, my first year in the league, the fourth line was essentially all fighters. And then the last couple of years, you really have to be able to play. You have to be able to skate. You have to be able to to play a regular shift to be effective. And I think I was kind of lucky where I kind of missed that era where guys weren't sleeping before naps. Uh, so I feel very grateful for that. <laughs> Yeah, and you mentioned have to be able to play. I mean, you scored 15 goals a year more than once. Uh, so obviously that was the case. I wanted to ask you about some of the markets you played in, Van, Montreal, Edmonton. Like you played Buffalo, some great, great hockey markets. When you think back to your time in Edmonton, a couple of the playoff runs that you guys went on, what stands out for you as some of the most memorable moments of your career? It has to be the playoffs, I think. In any of those organizations, when I got to Vancouver, that's the year, the year before they lost to the Boston Bruins. So uh, I got there at Christmas of the following year, uh, right before the trade deadline. And they were the talk of the town. They Everyone thought they had high, high chance, high expectation. When the President's Trophy had guys like the Sedin Twins, Kessler, Bieksa, Edler, Lalongo was in that, Schneider. Like It was a pretty cool team to be a part of from my from where I was in my career as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old to come into an NHL locker room with those guys that you're watching on TV essentially a couple of years ago uh, was pretty cool. But it sticks out to me the most is the playoffs. And I think Vancouver, when I was there, we didn't do that well. We ran into the hot Kings team that beat us in five and went on to win as an eighth seed. But Edmonton, the year, there was a couple good years. There was a couple of years where they were craving playoff hockey. It was... I don't even know the exact number. It was a long time before uh, there was any playoff hockey in Edmonton and we got the new arena and there was a buzz around the city. And obviously, like we talked about, you get the high-end skilled players. And next thing you know, we we go out and get Lucic and we get Patty Maroon. And it was kind of a perfect mix to the style that uh, we wanted to play and Todd McCullough and his coaching staff wanted to play. And those series were, were pretty special just to see Edmonton's fan base take it from a hundred to <laughs> double it. You always, you always thought and knew Edmonton was uh, 
a rowdy place to come into and, and win hockey games. But the playoffs, they really take it to the next level. And uh, those are games and, and series that uh, I'll remember forever, for sure. So I would occasionally tune into some Edmonton Sports Talk radio and they'd play the Zach Cassian goal song. Did you ever hear it? Zach Cassian shot the puck and it went in. He scored a goal, so we'll play the song. Zach Cassian, he's missing teeth when he grins. He'll beat you up if you do more. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard it in a while. I, I forget it, but yeah, I think, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've heard it a couple. I think my mom uh, was the one that told me about it. But yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty funny. That just shows you. That just shows you how passionate they are. Uh, it's honestly like a religion there. It's a it's a religion. It's really the only ticket in town besides the CFL team. So they bleed Oilers, and um, obviously this is a great era right now to be an Oilers fan. There's a lot lot to be happy about. Might be slightly uncomfortable if your mom was passing along the song. I remember one of the taglines in there: "Show your rack for Zach." So. Uh, that might have been uh, an interesting combo. Let's play a little rapid fire uh, as you look back on your career. Zach, uh, who was the toughest guy you went toe-to-toe with? Toughest guy would maybe say Chris Stewart because he fought, I think, three, two or three times, and they were always good fights. He was always a strong guy. Is it? Was there anything surprising about him or just strong? Oh, he's just really strong and really tough, and he had some years on me, and I always knew I was going to go in there and at least – take a couple to give one so <laughs> those are always ones you're ready for favorite coach to play for that's tough people might call me the coach killer actually as <laughs> I think I had nine coaches in 12 years but I honestly enjoyed I still stay in touch with John Tortorella he was a hard ass but he was a great guy great uh, great person to me Tom McCullen Lindy Ruff um, sorry if I'm missing anybody but those have to stand out to me Jay Woodcroft but I think all my success in Edmonton, when I got there, obviously I got a sweet spot for Todd McCollum. He uh, he was really good to me. So uh, I have to put him at the top of my list. Most memorable goal scored? Playoffs uh, against the Sharks. Win game two, yeah. And or game that- three. No, game three. Yeah, no, game three I scored with like two minutes left to win it in regulation. So that was, yeah, that was probably my biggest goal. Tubco with a turnover. High slide, back inner score. Zach Cassian, he beat Martin Jones with 9.15 to go in the third period. Edmonton breaks through. It's 1-0 Oilers. I can guarantee you they were playing the Zach Cassian goal song the next morning. Uh, Favorite road city to play in? Nashville. I like Nashville. Why? I don't know. I just like live music. I just like the atmosphere in Nashville. They get a good fan base. I like good barbecue. So uh, I got to say Nashville. So not rapid fire, but I want to wrap with this. Zach, you're 32 years old. You're a young man. You've got a young family. What's next for Zach Cassian? Yeah, Frank, that's a that's a great question. Obviously, I've uh, the game's been so good to me for so many years, obviously. And I definitely want to stay in the game. I don't know what that might lead me to, but I want to stay in the game. I enjoy watching games. Uh, I enjoy uh, breaking down games. I enjoy just being around locker rooms even. So uh, wherever that may bring me to coaching, scouting, media, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm open to pretty much everything. So uh, just staying in the game, I think, is very important to me. I feel like I I owe it. I really owe it to give back to the next generation after uh, how good it's been to me and my family. 
Zach Hassey and the world is your oyster as you begin your second career in hockey. Congratulations and best of luck. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks to Zach for opening up. Always enjoy his honesty and his insight, and I wish him the best of luck in finding his next passion. With Blue, here's Danny Lee Blackwell, stage name Nightbeats, on Frankly Speaking.